Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led his flock beyond the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. He looked, and the bush was blazing, yet it was not consumed. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Come no closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said further, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. When we deal with the story of Moses and the exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt, we are on very unsteady historical ground. There really is no reliable historical or archaeological evidence to support the kind of large-scale exodus that is described in the Bible. Historians generally doubt the existence of a figure like Moses. And yet, at the same time, it seems very clear that the ancient people of Israel found that this story of the Exodus was essential to their very identity. They were a people who had escaped from slavery, and they had a God who had given them their liberty. And it seems unlikely to me that a people would willingly identify themselves as former slaves if there was not some genuine experience behind that. So, while I certainly doubt that it took place exactly as depicted in Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments, I do believe that there was a significant group of ancient Israelites who had experienced some form of slavery under the Egyptians and who had managed in some way to escape it. I don't know if such events had one individual who made them all possible, one Moses figure to lead them all to freedom, but I've always found the figure of Moses that we meet in the Bible to be extremely compelling. He is a reluctant leader who nevertheless seems to achieve the impossible. Whether he existed or not, he obviously has much to teach us about leadership and stepping forward to meet an insurmountable challenge. I love the story of Moses and the burning bush because it is the story of how anybody can become that person. This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 6.4 Start
No more beating around the bush. Moses had done his best to try and forget. He had a good life here. The people had been very kind to him as he'd settled down among the Midianites. Jethro, the priest of Midian, had been particularly kind, not only offering him hospitality as a stranger, but actually welcoming him into his family giving him the hand of his daughter, Zipporah, in marriage. Life was good with Zipporah, and he enjoyed his days, tending his father-in-law's sheep. That kind of work meant that he was spending a lot of time alone, traveling far and wide wherever the sheep would graze. That certainly gave a man a lot of time to think and reflect. And during those times of isolation, he often found himself thinking about the people that he had abandoned. For he had been born to a family of slaves. He had been one of the fortunate ones, taken from his birth family and raised among the Egyptians, their oppressors. He had even been given a good Egyptian name, Moses. This is a tactic that has often been used in such situations. You give a certain small portion of your subject population special privileges and position, and they can help you to control that population with brutal efficiency. But it hadn't really worked with Moses. He never forgot where he had come from. And when he saw the suffering of his own people, it broke his heart. And he was soon filled with a rage against their oppressors. And one day, he had kind of snapped. A Hebrew man had failed to meet his quota for the day. And the slave master had decided to make an example of him by taking him out and beating him until he passed out. Moses waited until the man was alone and jumped him, killing him, and then burying the body in the sand. But it is no small thing to kill another person in a rage like that. And after the deed, he had been filled with remorse and the fear that he would be caught. Then one day, when he had gotten into an argument with a fellow Hebrew... The man brought up the murder that he had committed. Moses suddenly realized that his crime had not been as hidden as he had thought. He panicked and, without even returning home to gather a few belongings, immediately fled. It was a long journey to the land of the Midianites. And, when he arrived there, Moses was near to the end of his strength. 
He lay down near a well, but having nothing to draw with, he could not even manage to get a swallow of the water that lay so enticingly near. And once he had resigned himself to the reality that he was going to die there, he looked up to see seven women approaching with their flock of sheep. They had ropes and buckets, for they had come to draw and water their animals. They revived him and gave him some water and some food. When some men came soon after with their own flocks and began to chase the women away, Moses felt the anger descend upon him again, and he rose up and he fought the man off until he collapsed again, thoroughly exhausted. So, to put it plainly, Moses had had some anger issues, and it seemed to him that his rash anger had accomplished nothing but make things worse. He learned to regret it. But life in Midian had gone a long way towards taming his excesses. He had found a measure of peace in the desolate mountains and fields, and in the home he shared with Zipporah, one of those seven women from the well, and with their young son. He did his best to forget everything about Egypt. But it was not easy. He knew that his people were struggling and crying out, even the members of his own family. Sometimes, when the wind blew over the Midian hills, he thought he could hear their cries of anguish. He was often haunted by nightmares in which he saw his people suffering while he stood by helplessly, or, worse, tried to step in and only made things worse. So one day, he set out with the flock on a long journey. He was seeking some isolation to think through all of these things and how they affected him. He made his way towards Horeb, a mountain that was revered among the Midianites as a holy place. But he mostly chose it as a destination because it was a long way from his whole family. The region was particularly dry and desolate. There were very few green things that his sheep could find to eat, mostly small bushes and a bit of scrub. The bushes were so dry that sometimes he would see fires sweeping across the landscape. The fire would consume an entire bush in seconds and then quickly move on to the next, leaving nothing but ash in its wake. The destruction was so complete that it made him think of the terrible conditions that his people were enduring, and to fear that they too would soon be wiped away, leaving no trace upon the face of the earth. 
But then one day, as he approached the mountain of Horeb itself, he looked up and he saw something that he didn't understand. There, partway up the mountain, he could see the place where a fire had swept through. And yet, there remained still one small bush that continued to burn. It had not been devoured. Moses stood there wondering at the sight. He was no fool. He had spent enough time in this desert land to know that this wonder might be caused by some burning pitch, or perhaps the flames were being fed by some strange gas leaking from the earth. He knew well that such things could happen. But despite all this, there was something special happening up there. There was a message in it. He needed to turn aside and see this thing. As he approached, his wonder increased. There was indeed a bush that stood at the center of the flames. It was being deeply damaged by them. And yet, it still stood. It had not, as so many of the others had, simply turned into an ashen trunk that smoldered in the wake of the fast-moving fire. Almost inevitably, as he observed this wonder, his mind turned yet again to his people and all that they suffered. They were in the midst of an inferno, as deadly as anything that this poor bush was enduring. They, like the bush, were being ravaged by the flames of their affliction. But then, suddenly, Moses stopped in his gloomy course of thoughts as a realization struck him. The Hebrews, like the bush, had endured so much, and yet they were still not yet consumed. Somehow they had been able to survive this time of trial and remain intact as a people. They had not forgotten who they were. That had to mean something, didn't it? All his life, Moses had been surrounded by powerful gods. The great gods of Egypt ordered the heavens and the earth. They governed the movement of the sun and the rise and fall of the Nile. The pharaoh himself was a god whose power was questioned by none. Moses had simply taken it for granted that the Egyptians prospered and ruled over other nations because they had the favor of their powerful gods. But the ancient god of his own people, the Hebrews, the god of their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to be a complete failure. 
either he had completely forgotten his people or had never had any power to do anything for them in the first place. Moses had never been able to see it in any other way. But now, as he contemplated this strange bush, he was forced to think in new ways. What if their God had actually preserved these people through the inferno of their servitude for a purpose? What if God was simply waiting for someone to take that power that had allowed them to persevere and channel it in a new direction? towards hope and liberty. Moses didn't know any of this for sure. He certainly didn't know whether the God of this place was the God of his own ancestors. But he did feel the desire to honor any God who had made the endurance of fiery destruction possible. He slipped off his sandals for he had recognized that he was standing in a divine presence. And so it was that there, on the slopes of a sacred mountain, the God of his ancestors finally became real to Moses, finally became a God worthy of worship. But that was not the hardest truth to embrace on that day. Indeed, it was a relief to finally be able to believe that his people actually had a divine patron. The notion that he, Moses, might have a role to play in such a god's action, that was much harder to come to terms with. Oh, he fought against it. He told himself all the reasons why he shouldn't be the one, how he had made such a complete mess of it the first time he tried to do anything about the misery of his people. Surely he was disqualified from ever being of any use to them again. But the more he fought against it, the more he realized one thing. The God who had not given up on the bush in the middle of the blaze. The God who would not give up on the people of the Hebrews, though all the gods of Egypt were against them. That God had not given up on Moses either. And so as Moses picked up his staff and the sandals he had put aside, he turned to go. He now knew that he could do it. He could go back and reintroduce this people to the God who had preserved them even in the midst of all the fires of Egypt. The God who had actually chosen them to be his possession. The story of Moses at the burning bush is 
obviously a very powerful and influential story in the Jewish, Christian, and Muslim traditions. But I've always felt we have had a tendency to put the emphasis on the wrong parts of the story. We tend to focus on the flames. Surely, we think, Moses must have been blown away by the specter of an impossible fire in the midst of a bush. But I think if you read the story, it's not meant to be the fire that impresses Moses. Why should it? There really is nothing very extraordinary about a brush fire burning in a dry desert land. No, it is the fact that the bush is not consumed that makes Moses turn aside, for that is the true marvel. And that has always made me wonder about the nature of the God who is revealed to Moses by such a sight. This revelation is not a God of power and violent destruction, but rather a God of preservation the God who has preserved the people of Israel through the fires of their oppression. I do realize, of course, that the description we have of Moses' encounter at the burning bush does include him hearing an audible voice. But I do not necessarily think that that is meant to say that the burning bush actually had a sound system. I do think it makes sense to assume that someone like Moses, if he existed, of course, just found it easiest to communicate to others the divine insights he had gained by actually putting them on the divine lips of Yahweh in the midst of the bush. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with someone else who would appreciate it. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode is Eastern Thought. The music is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. You can contact me on Twitter at Retelling Bible, on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.